and welcome to Dairy Matters, a podcast brought to you by the National Dairy Council, all about Irish dairy. In this episode, we're bringing you an interview with Deirdre Hennessy, Vista Milk funded investigator and senior Chagas research officer, talking about how one small plant, white clover, could be a big part of the answer when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture. This interview was originally conducted for the Vista Milk SFI Research Centre in Cork, which was established in 2018 and, through science, identifies challenges and solves problems for the Irish dairy sector in four specific areas – soil, pasture, cow and food. Enjoy! And welcome to the Vista Milk podcast brought to you by the Vista Milk Science Foundation Ireland Research Centre in Fermoy, County Cork. Vista Milk identifies challenges and solves problems for the dairy industry domestically and internationally in the four key areas of soil, pasture, cow and food. Its access to expertise and resources makes it an authority on a range of topics facing the Irish dairy industry, including sustainability, emissions reduction and carbon sequestration. Vista Milk's projects will enable Irish dairy farmers to develop sustainable practices that will protect the 18,000 family farms, the 60,000 jobs and the 5 billion euro yearly economic contribution that dairy supports in this country. It will also provide the Irish people with the reassurance of knowing that the dairy products that they buy continue to be both farmed and processed locally. We all know, however, that climate change is real and we all know that our greenhouse gas emissions need to be drastically reduced if we are to manage global warming and limit the effects of climate change. Everyone needs to play their part and that includes the dairy industry. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Deirdre Hennessy. Vista Milk funded investigator and senior Chagas research officer who's going to answer our questions about how one small plant could be a big part of the answer when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Deirdre, welcome. Hi Jeremy, thank you. So today we are talking about clover uh, and I know you've been working with clover since 2008. Yep. Can you tell us how you got into that and why you chose to pursue the study of clover in grassland? Yeah, so um, I suppose it goes back to when I was in college. I studied agricultural science in UCD and in third year, we undertake professional uh, work experience. And I was fortunate enough to get a placement here at Chagas Moor Park in the grassland department. And I suppose from there, I just like you're bitten by the bug. Like I absolutely loved my work placement. And I suppose I, I decided then I would like to do a master's or something in that line in grassland. Now, there was no mention of clover at this stage, Jeremy, but then in fourth year, we would have had a bit more applied focus, I suppose, in, in our in our modules. And like, obviously, we would have covered clover as part of grassland. Um, and I was lucky enough when I finished my, my um, undergrad degree, I got a, a PhD opportunity with Chagask. And I suppose from there, I became interested in um, in white clover, but didn't really have any opportunity to work in that area. So my PhD was in grassland, but it was more overwinter growth and nitrogen fertilizer responses. And when I finished my PhD, again, I was lucky enough that I got an opportunity to start working it to get a to start working as a postdoc here in Moor Park, and then subsequently a research officer. And again, you know, going to conferences, chatting with colleagues, reading, and so on. I I suppose I I learned more about clover. And I could see that it had a potential role in our in our production systems. Clover, I suppose, would have been in Ireland anyway. And I suppose 
you know, the British Isles, uh, would have been considered for more less intensive systems, low stocking rate, low nitrogen input. Having said that, in New Zealand, uh, white clover, you know, was working quite well in their more um, intensive dairy production systems. And I suppose looking at what was research was being done there and so on, like it did seem like there was an opportunity to include some clover in our in our grassland in Ireland. Um, and again, I suppose discussing with colleagues and so on, um, put together a plot experiment, a grazing plot experiment. So small area, but grazed by cows uh, to look at the response or the interaction of white clover and uh, fertilizer nitrogen. And we started from there. And if I'm not much mistaken, at the time, people didn't believe that clover would survive in an intensive grazing system. Yeah. And it, I think you told me that they've been they've been proved wrong and the results at Moore Park show that it can. Yeah, 100%, Jeremy. And again, that came on the back of, you know, a lot of published literature, uh, papers and literature would suggest that three to five years after sowing clover, you see a clover crash and it needs to be renewed. So be that by over-sowing or full reseed. And I suppose there was, based on all we know or knew at the time, um, you know, there was the fear that, I suppose, subjecting that plant to frequent grazing like we do in uh, intensive uh, grazing systems plus nitrogen going on to it, nitrogen fertilizer, you know, that the clover would die, die out of the sward. When we started the systems uh, work here at Moor Park, we had a high stocking rate, about 2.74 cows per hectare. And really people were thinking, and they, that was all the evidence was pointing in that direction, two to three years, we wouldn't have clover. But look, here we are 10 years later, having sown our first swards in June 2012, and we still have those swards and they still have clover uh, contents very similar to what we're sown or what were there in the first year after sowing. And we haven't oversown those and we haven't reseeded those in the intervening years. So I suppose lesson one from our work with white clover to date is that it can persist even at a high stocking rate even with nitrogen fertiliser being applied to it for a long period of time, provided that there's good grazing management across that. And what we do is we, we use the Chagas grazing rules in terms of um, grazing management. So basically the year is divided into three seasons, spring, summer and autumn. In the spring, we use a spring rotation planner. In the summer, we use a grass wedge, which means we don't allow very high cover to build up. A high, by high cover, I mean a high yield of grass to build up in the sward. And then when we do graze it, we graze it down nice and tight. So we allow a cover of around 1,500 kilos of dry matter per hectare, and we take that down to four centimetres. So basically, we're coming back in and we're grazing the paddocks about every 20, 21 days. In periods of fast grass growth, that might be by might be 18 days. But that fast, frequent grazing means that you know it's actually benefiting the clover. So what 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 happens in swards where you allow a high cover to build up? So higher than that 1500 is, but the grass actually grows faster initially after grazing than the clover. So it will shade out the clover. If it shades out the clover, that means basically there's no light going down to the base of the sward for the clover to, uh, I suppose, to rejuvenate or to produce new stolons, new leaves and so on. And basically it's the grass shades it out and it kills the clover as such. Um, but by, by managing the sward so that we're not allowing those high covers to build up 
and we frequent grazing and nice clean clean outs, we are allowing plenty of light to get down to the base of the sward. And the benefits of clover in the sward are, uh, amongst the benefits, are increased milk yields and less use of fertiliser. How does that work? Okay, so we'll deal with the milk yield one first, Jeremy. So uh, white clover is more digestible than perennial ryegrass. It has less structural carbohydrates in it. Um, and the cows seem to preferentially graze it. So, you know, it's like putting a buffet out for them. They'll go for what they like first. They eat the clover first and they come back for the grass after. So we have seen in our work here at Moore Park and also at Clonakilty Agricultural College uh, in our research study there, we have seen increased intakes uh, when we have white clover in the sward. I suppose white clover comes into its own in the sward in the mid-season. So kind of end of May, June, July, August, when, when grass growth tends to decline uh, because the sward becomes reproductive, the perennial ryegrass plant becomes reproductive, and we see more stem, flower, and then seed head if it's allowed to develop that far in the sward. That's less digestible for the cow. But also when the cow eats that, because there's a lot of fiber and lignin in it, it fills her up. So her capacity to eat more um, is reduced. It also takes longer for that material to be broken down in the rumen or digested in the rumen, which is the, you know, the biggest of the stomach compartments of the dairy cow. And because it takes longer for it to pass through the cow, so the passage rate, it means that she can't eat or she can't take in more because she only has so much capacity. Whereas with clover, so if you have a proportion of the sward that has clover in it, you know, that proportion of the sward is going to be more digestible. You know, there's less fibre, less structural carbohydrates in it. The passage rate of that through the rumen and through the cow is faster. So she has the capacity to intake more uh, feed. Does that mean less methane? Not necessarily, Jeremy, because faster digestion rate can actually increase um, methane emissions. So actually this year, um, as part of Vista Milk, and also as part of our, our normal work in, in Moore Park, we're actually measuring methane right across the year on the clover system. So one of the clover treatments and the grass only treatment, we're measuring methane right across the year. We started in the middle of March and we'll continue probably till the middle to end of October. And we we'll, look, we'll have a good idea then, Jeremy, of what it looks like across the year. Having said that, based on the literature, Clover can have a positive effect in terms of reducing methane emissions. Some studies have found no difference and other studies have actually found that a slight increase in methane emissions. So we, we, we're really on the beginning of a bit of a journey here when it comes, Absolutely. To, when it comes to that. So, yes, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Milk no, you're fine. So the increase in milk yield is basically driven by more digestible feed and higher intake. OK, um, and we have seen... Uh, per, on, a, on a yearly basis in terms of milk solids, an increase of about 20 kilos to up to 50 kilos. Um, that's across the studies at Moor Park and Clonakilty. Uh, and Jeremy, I think the other thing you asked me was then, you know, the, the benefit in terms of reducing nitrogen fertilizer application. So the benefit uh, of having white clover in the sward in terms of nitrogen fertilizer is, well, firstly, white clover is a legume. And all legumes use a process called biological nitrogen fixation, whereby they convert atmospheric nitrogen uh, into plant available nitrogen. OK, so the way clover uh, does this is it develops a symbiotic relationship 
with rhizobia bacteria in the soil. So these are naturally occurring bacteria in the soil. Uh, and the symbiotic relationship um, is basically that the bacteria use the clover plant as the host plant. So they infect the root hairs and form nodules. So if you were to go out and dig up a bit of clover in the field, dig up a, a stolon, which is like the stem that runs along the surface of the soil, you would see little nodules on the root hairs. And that's where the bacteria are. And that's where the activity occurs in terms of biological nitrogen fixation. So how, how it operates or how the symbiotic relationship operates is the clover plant makes energy available for the bacteria through photosynthesis. And in return, the bacteria will fix nitrogen and make that available for the plant. Now, it's not instantaneously available. So it captures the nitrogen. <clears throat> Initially, the clover gets the benefit of that nitrogen. But over time, the other species, the other plants in the sward will also get the benefit because basically there's more nitrogen circulating as that clover plant starts to, um, you know, parts of it die off um, and it starts to decompose. The, that nitrogen, extra nitrogen goes into the organic pool and over time that's released and available then for plant growth. And that therefore can reduce the amount of nitrogen fertilizer that yeah. is used per hectare per year by quite a considerable amount, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we've shown that we can fix over 100 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. So if you're in a system where you're applying 250 kilos of nitrogen, then you can reduce nitrogen fertilizer by 150 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. We have about uh, eight, nine years work done looking at grass receiving 250 kilos of nitrogen compared to grass clover receiving 150 kilos of nitrogen. And we found that both sward types grow the same amount of herbage um, across the year. So that means that that clover sward is adding about 100 kilos or the clover plant is adding about 100 kilos into that sward for grass growth. So, you know, 100 kilo reduction in uh, nitrogen fertilizer application is a 40 percent reduction on where we have been. So that's quite significant and, you know, is ahead of some of the targets in the um, the EU Green Deal targets. And just translating it into you know, the bottom line, that's that's a considerable saving cost saving, isn't it? Absolutely, particularly this year, Jeremy, because fertilizer prices are very high, given all the different things that are going on internationally. And look, the likelihood is that that will continue. So for farmers who have clover in their swords, you know, they need to identify the paddocks now that they can reduce nitrogen input to. But for farmers who don't, you know, they need to take the opportunity now to start putting clover into their swords so that they can take advantage of the clover and the biological nitrogen fixation come next year in terms of nitrogen reductions. Obviously, we are awaiting with bated breath the Food Vision Dairy Group's report and its 17 recommendations. One of them actually talks about fertiliser reduction. Mm -hmm. So this is very, very pertinent to that. Um, how much of Ireland's pasture is seeded with clover? Sorry, I know it's a very open end, but uh, yeah. rough, roughly speaking, is, is there take up? I suppose that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I can't give you a percentage now, Jeremy, but I will say the take up has been slow. But in the last year, there is huge interest. We've just finished a series of um, farm walks in April looking at clover um, establishment and management. And we had huge interest in those. Chagas have also published a little booklet we 
published it last year and we republished it this year and sent it to the 40,000 Chagask clients looking, um, or I suppose it describes the management and establishment of white clover. So there's huge interest. Farmers are acutely aware that that white clover can bring them benefits in terms of replacing some of the requirement for fertilizer. And like we had an open day here at Moore Park last September. Um, and if we were, that was 2021, if we were to go back to 2019, to the previous open day, farmers were interested in clover, but they weren't sure if it was for them. And there was a lot of questions about, well, should I, should I sow it? Is it going to give me something extra? Um, or, or why can't I just keep going as I am? You know, I have my system set up. Why change? Good thing. Whereas in 2021, last September at the open day, Virtually all, all of the questions that we got at the clover stand were, OK, I, I've sown clover this year. Tell me how to manage it so it will persist. Or I want to sow clover in the spring. Tell me what I need to do. So, you know, farmers are very eager for information. Skipping ahead a bit here, but actually I had a conversation with a farmer last week who was talking exactly this. He's seeing he wants to reduce fertilizer usage, and so he's he's jumping on it now and 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 is is seeding clover. Um, but obviously, it's not just a case of seeding it and then off it goes. That there is management. So, what 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 are the things that the farmer has to do in order to to make it work? So I suppose the first thing he has to do, you know, is look at when he's going to sow it and where he's going to sow it. Uh, I already mentioned now April, May is the time to sow clover. That's whether they're doing a full reseed or um, over sowing it. Then they need to pick the paddocks. So if they're over sowing, you know, nice clean paddock as in no weeds, perennial ryegrass, relatively open so you can get seed to soil contact and good soil fertility. Clover likes good soil fertility, even more so than perennial ryegrass. Then once they have the, the, the clover sown, if it's going into an existing sward by over-sowing, you know, it'd be ideal to uh, reduce or not put out any fertilizer nitrogen, at least in that rotation in which they put in the seed. Um, and after that, um, maybe cut the nitrogen by about half for the next couple of rotations. But regardless of whether it's over-sowing or reseeding, it's really important to graze that sward when there's a low cover on it to give that uh, the clover every chance to establish. So remember I said earlier about light being important <laughs> and the clover seedlings are quite small. You know, they're down on the ground. Um, they need a lot of light. So, you know, go in and graze when there's a very low cover. Uh, we said earlier about grazing those swards around 1,500. You know, you might be going in at 900, 1,000 to graze those and do that for the next two to three rotations. So you might get three to four rotations with quite a low cover on them, um, but that certainly will help the clover to establish. And then manage a pre-grazing herbage mass for the next, the rest of the year, don't leave it build up too high. Um, and going into the winter, it will be important not to carry an awful lot of grass on the sward. So close the sward later in the final rotations. One of the things is that farmers have so much on their plate anyway and so much to do and so much to think about it does seem quite a complex process or is that just me not knowing anything about it <laughs> to an extent Jeremy, because you would mind a reseeded grass sward as well you know you would apply some of those principles not necessarily the fertilizer one and not necessarily the very low covers but i suppose what's important for a farmer and if there are any farmers listening to us and thinking that they want to put in clover no, you don't do the whole farm together, because if you do, 
You're trying to preferentially manage the whole farm, and that's a real challenge. So, you know, maybe you do 20%, 25% over sown this year and maybe 5 10% um, reseeded. Have, follow kind of a four-year plan to get over on the sward, and that might be, you know, receding five to ten percent per year and over sowing twenty five percent or so each year. And in the final year, then you're going back over any areas that didn't take. And I suppose the other thing, Jeremy, with um, with over sowing, and it was a farmer said this, Ger Pardy in in County Offaly. He said, you know, you have to be stubborn with clover. You have to be persistent. So if it doesn't take this year, don't throw your hands in the air and give up. Go back next year and put it in again. If you've some paddocks that took and some didn't, see what you did differently between the paddocks uh, and see what worked on the ones where you got a good take. Uh, uh, you know, maybe you did something small but different on the other, on the other where it didn't take so well um, and try and mimic what you did on the good ones. But you do have to be stubborn and you do have to go back out again. Um, and if you do that, you know, you will be successful. Now, it isn't every single soil type in the country that clover will work on. Clover doesn't like its feet to be very wet, if you want to put it that way. It doesn't like to be sitting in water, basically. So on some very heavy soils, it might struggle. But the vast majority of soils in the country, it's going to work on. You're talking about white clover. There are other types of clover, aren't there? Is it just white clover that, that delivers these benefits? No, so all clovers are legumes, Jeremy, so they can all uh, fix nitrogen through biological nitrogen fixation from the atmosphere. Uh, in Ireland, the most common clovers are red clover and white clover. Uh, white clover in grazing systems. Uh, so I mentioned already that white clover has stolons, which are like stems that run along the surface of the soil. They make uh, white clover very suitable for grazing because it's difficult for cows to pull up that stem where you have the growth points. For sheep, they can graze a bit tighter. So for dairy and beef, we would um, advise using a medium uh, leaved cultivar. So uh, white clover is classified by leaf size. So we would say medium leaf uh, cultivars for um, dairy and beef cattle. But for sheep, a small leafed cultivar, they tend to grow um, closer to the ground. So they're a bit more difficult for the sheep to pull up. Then the other main type of clover we have in Ireland is red clover, used predominantly for um, silage. Now, it can be used in grazing, but it does not persist so well in grazing. Um, and the reason why it's more suited to silage and grazing is because its growing point is much higher in the, in the sward or on the plant. So it's about five centimetres above ground level. Um, and if that growing point is grazed, well, then the plant will die because it can't grow any further. Um, but in a silage scenario, it works very well and very useful um, for silage. Indeed, um, organic uh, farmers, dairy farmers and bee farmers use red clover as their, in their silage swords as a protein source for the winter. Um, and there's huge interest from farmers you know, across all of the sectors in red clover for silage, particularly this year, um, again, because it will allow its significant reduction in fertilizer use we're talking about only having to use maybe max 50 kilos of nitrogen uh, per hectare for silage and and that would be for the first cut it sounds that the use of clovers red clover for silage white clover for grazing it sounds like this is we're looking at considerable reductions in fertilizer use yeah there were considerable reductions uh, in cost to the farmer yeah 
uh, once the farmers have done it, there can be no going back from that, can there really? No, I don't think so. Um, and the other benefit of clover that we didn't really talk about, as well as reducing the, the fertilizer nitrogen, you know, it's really nutritious uh, and farmers who use it should reduce the amount of crude protein in their purchased concentrate. OK, so the feeding of, of white clover is as good as feeding concentrate. Um, we had, had a, a colleague from INRA visiting here in Moor Park last week, uh, Luke Delaby, and he said to me when we were out in the field looking at the, at the cows and the clover, he said, you know, that clover, it's like feeding them concentrate. Um, so, you know, we don't need to feed high levels of crude protein in our concentrate anymore if we've clover in the sward. I was talking to a farmer in Cork and, and she talked about bloat, uh, the fact that cows, and, and you've, you've touched on it, the cows, frankly, will eat the clover above everything else. So it does have to be managed, doesn't it? Yeah, and I suppose, look, there, there's been a few reasons why farmers have been slow to put in clover, Jeremy, and, and bloat is one of them. Uh, a bloat happens when um, cows eat a low dry matter, uh, low fiber content feed, and they get a buildup of froth in the rumen, uh, and that traps the gas that they, they naturally belch out as they graze. Uh, and it basically, it causes the cow to swell. So in terms of management, it's basically applying good grazing management rules that you know are already recommended by Chagask. So you know, grazing down to four centimetres. If you graze tighter than that, the animals are likely to be hungry going into the next paddock. So then they're more likely to gorge on whatever is in that paddock. And if there's clover there, it could be clover that they'll gorge on. Another thing you can do is you can you can um, put bloat oil in the water so that they're taking in, um, they're taking, they're consuming some of that and it will reduce the froth buildup in the rumen. Um, and another thing, you know, if you had like, a perfect storm, if you want to call it that, for bloat, which would be hungry animals, so grazing below four centimetres, a wet wet morning, wet afternoon, and a lot of clover in the sward, uh, and a lush sward at that, that's kind of your perfect storm for bloat. So one of the key things that we would recommend doing there is instead of giving the cow the whole paddock to graze, or the cows the whole paddock to graze when they go out, give them a smaller area of the paddock maybe enough for two hours or so so that they they're forced to graze the grass as well as the clover uh, and then after two hours you can take up the wire they'll be fine because they'll have the fiber component from the grass in the rumen good grazing management you know watching your covers and, and not having the cows hungry going into the paddock certainly alleviates the risk of bloat nothing is perfect is it it, no. it is it is a question of making it work for you um just being slightly flippant about this because um there was a story recently about St. Patrick and shamrock. And of course, shamrock is a type of clover, but that's not what we're talking about here, is it really? No, it's not. But shamrock is a, is a relation of white clover. And some people would define shamrock as red or white clover. I think uh, John Gerard in, in 1597, a herbalist, <laughs> um, classified red clover or white clover as shamrock. But it looks like shamrock is trifolium dubbin, which is a relation of red or white clover. And it comes from, uh, it's, it's an Irish kind of clover. Now, no, no clover is fully native to Ireland because they're found across all of Europe. But it's, a, it's, co it's considered a lesser, a lesser clover. Um, and also then sham, shamrock, the word, seems to have come from the Irish 
Shimrog, which is the Irish for young clover. Um, and it's a diminutive of the word of the Irish word uh, Shimar, uh, again, which means young clover. So there's definitely related. And there was a survey done, I, I think, in the late 1800s and again in 1900s where people were asked to send clover to uh, to researchers to look at it. So about 50 odd percent of of shamrock plants in um, Ireland that were classified by people who send them in as shamrock were that trifolium, trifolium dubbin. So it looks like that's probably it. But then, you know, maybe 30 percent samples were trifolium repens, which is white clover. So look, they're very closely, they're very closely related. And who's to know what the shamrock that St. Patrick uh, held up was? Maybe it was white clover. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Who knows? But actually, it, it, um, talking about different species brings me on to uh, multi-species swords. You said that, um, that there's no such thing as a, a necessarily a native uh, species, but we have sort of almost legacy multi-species swords mm. in Ireland, don't we? What, what are they made up of and what, what makes the perfect multi-species sword? I'm not sure we know what makes the perfect multi-species, Jeremy, but yeah, we have we call them native multi-species. So they're old permanent pastures, haven't been reseeded, haven't been, you know, there's nothing been changed in terms of their species, you know, in 40, 50, 60, 100, maybe more years. And there are there are large parts of the country that have those old permanent pastures in them. And what, what, you, what will you find in them? You'll find multiple or numerous grass species. You'll find uh, legumes like clover, uh, white clover, red clover. You'll find maybe a little bit of bird's foot trefoil. Um, and you'll find herbs like plantain. Um, and, you know, on the whole multi-species thing, like there is a big interest in multi-species swords, far dairy and beef and so on production in Ireland. And it's got an awful lot of traction and press in the last number of years. And I suppose you asked me what does the ideal multi-species sward look like and that's part of the work that's going on at, you know, in Chagas, there's a number of projects looking at what our ideal multi-species sward looks like. And, you know, all of the ones that have been sown have a number of grasses, some a number of legumes. So generally red clover, white clover, maybe another type of clover. And they have herbs, chicory and plantain probably being the most common, but they may have others as well. Um, and for example, one of my colleagues here in Moor Park, uh, Brendan Horn, has a whole farm systems experiment at Moor Park, at Curtin's farm near Moor Park, looking at multi-species. So he's comparing multi-species system with a grass white clover system and a grass only system. Um, and look, we don't have much data on them yet in terms of results, Jeremy. That study has just gone into its second year, but you know we're collecting a whole whole load of information on that. Colleagues in Johnstown Castle have also done a lot of work uh, with multi-species. And we, we we had a conversation before this, um, and I remember you. Uh, what stuck in my uh, my mind was you talked about plantain having a diuretic effect. Yeah. So basically, in New Zealand, um, researchers have shown that um, plantain can have a diuretic effect. So basically, it means the cows urinate more frequently in the paddock. And by doing that, I suppose they're diluting the nitrogen that they're excreting in the urine. 
So over the day, they're probably going to excrete the same amount of nitrogen, but it's going to be deposited in more areas across the paddock. So look, that can be very beneficial in terms of uh, nitrate leaching because you have less nitrogen in any particular patch to be lost compared to, say, in a grass-only sward. And the other thing about plantain is that it's winter active, which means that there is growth over the winter. Uh, so it's likely to be using some nitrogen that's available in the soil. Is it possible to over clover? Yeah, good question. So you do hear sometimes people say, oh, the clover took over in the sward. No, some of that is maybe because they sowed a large leaf cultivar, which tends to be quite aggressive. We wouldn't recommend it for grazing. But, but mostly it's because they're looking at the sward in the autumn, say in end of August into September, when clover is very dominant in the sward. You know, your sward can be 40% plus white clover. But if you look at that sward, it might look like it's almost all clover. Because remember, the clover leaf, you know, it, it, um, it spreads out and it looks bigger in the sward than the grass. But in terms of over sowing it or having too much of it there, that's difficult enough to achieve, Jeremy. So we did a small experiment here a few years ago where we sowed different rates uh, of clover um, and we basically we found that they all came back to similar enough level um, which was a sowing rate of about five kilos per hectare or two kilos um, per acre um, you know if if there was if someone was worried that there was too much clover in the sward there are a few uh, little things they can do like leave that cover build up higher than 1500 so you get a shading effect that's going to reduce the amount of clover in the sward. In the autumn, don't allow uh, swards with a heavy clover content or a high clover content in them um, to be carried over the winter in case they are going to end up, you know, they might do the reverse in terms of shading out the grass if, if there's a lot of clover there going into the winter. So by grazing them off, you give the, the, the grass a chance to tiller uh, and become, I suppose, more dominant in the sward. But really... You know, I, I would not be concerned about over so about having too much clover in the sward. We don't really see that happening on farm. I'd be far more concerned about having enough clover in the sward. So obviously at the moment, agriculture generally, but dairy farming as well, getting a bit of a bad, bad time um, yep. following the government's climate action bill last year setting targets and the rest of the bits and bobs and there appears to be a belief that potentially we can't meet our targets and, and there's a narrative that also that that's growing that says the only way to meet the targets is to is to cull the herd um but but from what i've heard today and and what i've heard from um from colleagues of yours um uh, down in moorpark um it it, it 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 seems that initiatives like this can have the effect that we need. Are, are you in agreement with that? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think we can do the job based on the work that's being done? Absolutely, Jeremy. Uh, and, you know, farmers are really resilient bunch of people, you know, and they're really willing to take on challenges and new technologies and try to make the system work better. And, you know, all farmers, you know, want to pass on a farm to a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew, you know, to the next generation. They want to keep that farm business alive. They want to keep it profitable. They want to keep it sustainable. So I think, you know, white clover is one uh, thing that they can do. Look, they're definitely 
the uptake is definitely increasing. We've seen the uptake of low emission slurry spreading. You know, that's like second nature to farmers now to assume that they're going to put out their 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 um their slurry that way. But they're also aware that you know they get better return on the nitrogen that's in that slurry if they put it out that way, which then has a knock-on effect in that they can reduce the amount of chemical fertilizer that they put out. Uh, protected urea, another another um, um, tool that we have, uptake probably a little bit lower. Some of that has to do with supply. And there, there are so many other, other initiatives that farmers are taking on and implementing in their systems to really help reach our climate targets and have a viable business that they can pass on to the next generation. Which is, after all, the definition of sustainability. So. Yeah. Deirdre, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I personally find this topic absolutely fascinating. I think it is so relevant to the changes that are coming down the track at us, the recommendations that are being made. We know it works. It's a question of making sure that everyone else does. So thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Jeremy. Matters is produced by 4TC on behalf of the National Dairy Council.